0: You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Join me in Psalm 56. Psalm 56. As we walk through our summer in the Psalms. And uh, one of the things about Psalms is uh, when you read them, just a cursory reading of a psalm, you, you get something out of it. There's a beauty, there's poetry, there's something that always stands out. But when you stop and sit there and meditate on it and read it again and again and again, um, it's as you drill down into uh, the reality of what it is that the Scriptures say, specifically in the Psalms, there's just these nuggets of uh, truth that are just so incredible. And Psalm 56 is... Um, is no different. Why don't you read along with me Psalm 56 starting at verse 1. Uh, He says, For the choir director according to a silent dove far away when the Philistines seized David, a psalm of David, uh, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day. For many arrogantly fight against me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. While they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know. God is for me." In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? I am obligated by vows to You, God. I will make my thanksgiving sacrifices to You, for You rescued me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light of life. This is the Word of the Lord. They say that... uh, that hindsight is 2020, uh, 20 And that's somewhat true in a sense. You do see things more clearly when you look back on things because there's information that you get after the fact uh, either by experience or uh, by... Uh, just the, how, how things play out that you can then look back and go oh yeah I understand how that is but sometimes hindsight is not 20 Sometimes hindsight is uh, more muddled than that. You get through it and you understand what happens but you don't really understand necessarily why those things happened. Right? Um, sometimes as we look back on things it's, it's uh, learning experiences that you kind of kick yourself right like um, if you know, uh, if 15 years ago you were signing on for a new job and they were asking you, you know, what your retirement portfolio was, and they said, "Hey, you can pick if you want certain stocks or how you want to spin things out." Uh, and uh, if you were incredibly lucky, you were looking at this used book company and that their stock price was under 100 bucks, and you're like, "Yeah, maybe they might be something." And you bought into Amazon when it was under 100 dollars a share, um, uh, you know. Uh, and I, I, I didn't do that, but I saw it. I saw the stock price at that. And I was still buying seminary books from Amazon at the time and going like, wow, they're really cheap. But then then I started seeing that they were selling like lawnmower parts and other really random stuff. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that before. And then, of course, fast forward you know, 10 years and you're just kicking yourself in the midst of the reality of that because you're going like, ah, it was right there, right? Like it was just, it was right there. Uh, and, of course, that's a silly illustration uh, on the reality of looking back and going, oh, if I had only known. Uh, and the reality of it is, we don't really learn from that, right? Because there's really not many of us that today, knowing what we know about stocks like Amazon or Tesla or any of those kind of things, today are actively working to try to find that next thing, right? We're just going about our normal everyday life knowing that there will be another Amazon, there will be another Google, there will be those things. But we're not actively pursuing those things. That's why hindsight isn't actually 2020. Uh, 20 Sometimes it's just seen through a lens of regret and challenge. So for the believer, as we look back over our life, and we look over the hardships, the missed opportunities, uh, the circumstances, the way that things played out, we have a choice, right? We can look back on those things and have a, uh, a sense of toxic victimization, right? Everything or nothing plays out in my favor. Nothing works out the way that I want it to do. Or, we can look back on things and we can see that God has brought us through those things in spite of us. In spite of our decisions. In spite of the way that things actually played out. I think, in a way, this is what Psalm 56 is. It's David looking back on the reality of his circumstances, and even up until the present moment, and making a prediction based upon the future that's not based upon his experiences, but based upon who God is. As you remember, when you read the Psalms, we don't generally uh, start the Psalm in verse 1. In other words, that's not what the Hebrew writers did. They didn't start the psalm in verse one. They started it in the headline that we have on there. And our English translators, because that doesn't, uh, you know, uh, that doesn't fit into the way that we think of songs or poems, uh, but it was a written part of it to sometimes give us context to what the story was about. And he writes this that this was a song written for uh, choir directors to be sung in the temple according to some well-known tune, uh, Silent Dove Far Away, and it describes it that it is a particular style of song written by David, and when did he write it? He wrote it when he was seized by the Philistines in Gath. This is from First uh, Samuel chapter 21, uh, where Saul has been pursuing David. He's tried to kill him a number of times. Even when David spared his life, King Saul then sought to kill him again, and so in desperation, David thinks to himself, you know what the best thing for me to do is? I should go to Gath, where Goliath was from, and I'll go to the ruler of that town, and I'll submit myself and my mighty men as a militant uh, force for hire to come alongside and serve against the enemies of Israel, because that's my best bet, Seems kind of nuts. It seems like kind of a, uh, a crazy decision to make. And it's funny that that seems like a crazy decision to make because that's exactly what David does. He makes himself crazy. He shows up to Gath, and everybody recognizes him and they go, Hey, isn't that David who they sing that song about? That Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands? And David goes, I'm in trouble. And so he begins to act crazy, lets drool, dribble down his beard, and begins to scratch with his fingernails on the door as though he's this crazy person. And the ruler of Gath looks and says, Do I have, or, you know, don't I already have enough crazy people in Gath that I need to deal with this? And David is able to get away after he's been uh, trapped or caught by them. This feels like, I think, if I I try to put myself into David's shoes, this is like the bottom of the bottom, right? He, He gets taken out of the shepherd's field. He gets thrust into the limelight, killing Goliath. He's married to the king's daughter... He gets that song for reason. He is accomplished militarily and then everything begins to tumble apart for him. Sorrow upon sorrow, grief upon grief, heartache upon heartache, backstab upon backstab, and he finds himself at the gate of his enemies and they don't even want him. And in the midst of that, David cries out and writes these words, Be gracious to me, God, For a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day long, for many arrogantly fight against me. David goes says that there is one that is attacking him and that there are many that are attacking him and they are fiercely against him. And his prayer to God is that, God, would You be gracious to me? And grace is one of those things that we absolutely need to stop and ponder on. The reality of God's graciousness towards us. Grace has always only ever been undeserved, unearned, unwarranted kindness and favor from God. Grace has been everybody looking at you and saying, you need to get what you deserve. You need to get what's coming to you. And the one being who you have wronged the most saying, no. That's not what you're going to get. You're going to get loving kindness. You're going to get mercy. You're going to get forgiveness. You're going to get restoration. This is David pleading to God for that kind of graciousness because he knows he has no foot to stand on. He has no character to stand on. He has no decisions to stand on. Yes, He is the anointed one. Yes, He is the one that God has said, this will be my king over Israel. And yes, He is the one that even God has said, this is a man after my own heart. But all of those things, and none of those things, does it warrant or demand God to be nice to him. And David's response to this is he's looking back to the reality of this, that there is one who's attacking him, he's thinking probably here of Saul, and there are many that are attacking it, whether that's the friends of Saul, whether that's the leaders of Gath, whether that's uh, just random people that he's encountering. It seems like he looks and nothing that I can do, nothing decision I have, nothing that happens to me works right. And so his response is not one of bravery, but is one of submission where he says, when I'm afraid. I trust in you. I think we make a mistake very often in Christian circles that we talk about not being afraid, because the Bible says a lot of times things like "Fear not." Right? I remember as a kid hearing once uh, the the somebody stopped and counted how many times in the Bible it says "Fear not," and it said that there were 360. Uh, fear not in Scripture, and the point was they were making one saying, look, it says, don't be afraid, right? That there's there. And the reality of fear is that you can no more stop fear than you can stop it when you hit your hand with a hammer and it hurts. Right? It just is. Right? You're walking through the woods and a bear jumps out in front of you and you feel fear. You have not sinned. It literally is your body going, You might need to run now, right? Or play dead, or make yourself big, or something. But your elevation of your heart rate that goes into that, the reality of that fear is real. It's what you do with it that is either righteous or ungodly. And he says, when I'm afraid, mighty David and his mighty men, he says, what am I going to do? Well, I'll raise up an army. I'll do it myself. I'll pull myself up from my bootstraps. I'll work harder. I'll try more. I'll be more righteous. I'll pray. I'll do whatever. No. When I'm afraid, I will trust in You. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Two times in this, there's a, a kind of a refrain. They're very similar, verses three and four, uh, and then again in verses uh, ten uh, and eleven, they sound very similar, as though they're just a refrain in a psalm, in a song. And it emphasizes that point of the reality of when we trust in God. What exactly does that mean? He says, "In God, whose word." I praise, and this is one of those ones where we have to drill down a little bit to to get the fullness of uh, what is. What is buried here in this word, I remember my brother uh, my oldest brother was living in Washington, and I went to go visit him once, and they wanted to do some yard work and so they wanted to build like a raised bed, and there was rocks that were in their yard and so he's like hey, can you I want to put the bed right over here? Can you dig up that rock and get it out of the way, and maybe that one over there and, and get that out of the way and then we'll uh, we'll put this bed in and so I picked up the shovel and i I went to go think i 'm going to pull out this you know." basketball-sized uh, rock and I hit and I go down about an inch of soil and I hit rock. And so I scrape that out of the way and I move back about three inches and I go down and I go about an inch and a half of soil and I hit rock. And by the end of it, I'm at a rock that's like, you know, I need an excavator to move out. And I was like, you need to put your box in a different spot, right? There's no way I'm digging this thing out. And this is one of those things. When we read this, he says, in God whose word I Praise and just in a cursory uh, way of doing this, because in English we would read this. This is God's word. This is uh, we would simply just say this is Him saying, you know, in God in Scripture, kind of like a Psalm one. Blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the uh, seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Right, that kind of uh, Psalm of praise of God's word as what He said of of holy Scripture. But this word that is used here, whose word I praise, is a different Hebrew word than the word that they would use for Scripture of Word. This is literally Him saying that God is speaking, and so I praise Him. That the words of God's mouth are powerful and profound. Think about it this way. Right now, Uh, We are, as a nation, in a bit of a constitutional crisis, a little bit, right? Because we as a nation are trying to make some decisions based upon a document that was written a long time ago, and we don't have the guys that wrote it standing there with us to be able to help us say, well, what did you mean when you said X, Y, or Z? Right? Because there's new things that have come about, there's new things that have been created that didn't exist back when some guys were sitting in a dimly lit room and writing down a uh, Declaration of Independence and a Constitution and a Bill of Rights and those kind of things. And I'm sure everybody would be really... Uh, Happy if we could just have those guys here and say, what exactly did you mean by that? Of course, there would be some people that wouldn't be happy with it because they wouldn't like what their answer was because we're all divided about things like that, right? But the document itself, it just says what it says and it doesn't say anything else, right? We're left to the interpretation of the document as it stands. And Scripture functions kind of like that in a sense that it just says what it says, we don't make it say something different. We are, in fact, by Scripture, charged not to change it, not to alter it, but to just take it for what it says and, and apply it into our life. And that's what Scripture says, that it stands forever and it reveals the character of God and the nature of His plan and all those kind of things. But there is a dis- distinct difference between knowing what God says and hearing what God says, Right? We all know that there's somebody in our life that loves us. We know that truth. But on dark days, depressing days, hard days, painful days, the fact that we know that this individual loves us does not feel the same as that person coming to us and saying, do you know how much I love you? Those two things are very, very different, right? They feel very different because they are very different. And the reality of this that he is saying here is that when I'm afraid, when I trust in God, in God whose Word that He's speaking right now into my life, the reality of that, that Word, in God I praise, and in God I trust, I will not be afraid David is looking to the past and he's realizing the trail of suffering, the trail of heartache, the trail of of, uh, bad decisions on his own part, bad decisions of others, that's brought him to this point. And by the world standard, he could look at that and make an inference to the future that say, you know what, it's just going to keep going like this. It's just going to keep getting bad. It's just going to keep getting harder. It's one of the things about... Uh, the uh, Gen Z generation, the distinctives of that, is that it is not a positive future that they view. And so there's a very negative view of long-term life as you think about the reality of that. Because they look at things that have experienced up into this and they just project into the future that it's going to continue much like that. And David makes a break from that in saying, yes, I know that things have been bad, but my trust, my hope, is not that I'll do better or that circumstances will be better next time. It's that I know what God says to me now. What can man do to me? Which is a pretty profound statement, especially if you think about the kind of world in which David lived. Marauding armies, crossing deserts, assaulting uh, cities, laying them to waste, and impaling their enemies upon spikes. That was the world that David lived in. I don't know about you, but there's not been a moment in my entire life where I woke up fearing that somebody was going to impale me on a spike outside the gates of my city. Right? And with that as a reality, David says, what can mere mortals do to me? We're so afraid. We're so afraid of what could be. And we look to the past and our experiences which help us uh, create an expectation of the future. And David is calling us out of that. Scripture is calling us out of that. This reality that God speaks and it's God that we trust. Not our circumstances. Not even us. Because sometimes... The man that is trampling me is me. We know the story of David, and we know that sometimes David was David's worst enemy. And I know my story, and I know that Chris Kopp is very often my worst enemy. And if you were honest, you would know the same is true of that. So it is never a trust in ourselves and a trust in our circumstances. He goes back to the reality of the, the challenge that's there, says that is constant. He says, they, the evil they take and they twist my words. The ESV says something uh, along the, the lines of they, uh, they mess up my plans. Uh, they take what we say and they take it out of context or they, they manipulate it or they mess with it. And again, this is, I think, a reality for us in the world in which we live, in which communication is becoming so much harder. Again, we say the same words. We have different definitions for those words. And therefore, we cannot communicate with each other. Their thoughts are always evil against me. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They wait to take my life. And he just asks the honest question. He says, will they escape with such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. There's this juxtaposition that we experience in, uh, in Scripture so much that is the reality of praying for God to be gracious to us and ungracious to others. And here's the thing. Scripture teaches this very often that it's okay to pray both things simultaneously. God, bring the rapist to repentance and bring him to justice. God, may the armies of Russia come to faith in You and may they be stopped at whatever cost. It's okay to pray those things simultaneously. It's the rawness, the realness of it. And I really appreciate the honesty of this. It's one of the reasons why this I picked this psalm for this morning. Verse 8, David writes, You have recorded my wanderings. I think the ESV translates it as uh, you've recorded my, my turnings as though it was as you were sleeping. And there's just such weightiness of life and so many stresses that's there that you just can't... You can't get comfortable, not because your body isn't comfortable, but because your mind isn't comfortable. And God knows how many times you've turned over, and oh, what is it, how is this going to turn out, and how are these things going to be? One of the most incredible things uh, that I believe from Scripture, is taught a number of times, is when you look at tears as they're used in Scripture, they're noticed by God. You know, sometimes tears aren't noticed by us. You can sometimes look at somebody and tell they've been crying. But most of the tears that we shed in life, because of the nature of the emotion of it, we hide those, right? There's men in your life who you've never seen cry. Doesn't mean they never have. And He says, my tears you put in your bottle." And you've recorded every one of them in your book. There's no sorrow, no heartache. There's nothing that has happened in your life that God was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I, man, are you kidding me? Holy cow. And that's again one of those tense moments of going, okay God, I, I believe in Your goodness, but this doesn't feel good. Right? I think this is exactly why Paul was able to write in Romans chapter 8 that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And the all things is just a couple of verses away from where he says, for we are being led like sheep to the slaughter every single day. And the passage of Scripture in Isaiah that is mirrored in in, uh, the Revelation where he says that there comes a day where all death and sickness is thrown into the lake of fire, and God gets down on His knee and wipes away every tear from every eye. For every believer in Christ, it should be an incredible comfort to us. A promise of God's of our ability to trust in Him, that God wastes not a single tear that we shed. No heartache, no sorrow, no grief is wasted for a believer. He uses all of it for our good. He says, Then my enemies will retreat on that day when I call. This I know. God is for me. This I know. God is for me. In God whose word, speaking right now, I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? Well, as we said, humans can do a lot. In fact, there's a lot of life that would be a whole lot easier if it wasn't for people. Right? Right? People mess stuff up all the time. Even people that we like. Even people that we love. And yet, ultimately, my trust... my trust doesn't rest in other people. Do I trust other people? Yes. I don't live life not trusting anyone, but my ultimate trust what so guards me against all others. So my trust is in the living God. This is why I'm obligated by my vows to you, O God. I'll make thanksgiving sacrifices to you, for you rescued me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light of life. Remember, we've talked about Scripture in terms of progressive revelation. That when Moses was given the Torah, the first five books, and wrote those down, he didn't have the end of the story, right? He didn't have Revelation. He didn't have John. He didn't have Romans. So they took what God said and they trusted him. And then the prophets came and they spoke the truth of God and it came to them and the people took it and they believed God. And then the story of Israel came and they wrote it down in, uh, in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. And the people took it and they believed God. And up until the end of the, the Old Testament, all they had was this reality that we've screwed up again and again and again. God's been faithful to us. And our hope is in Him, but we don't know how that's going to work. We know there's a Messiah coming, but we don't know how that's going to work. And even David could write this of the reality of this. This is him looking to the future. Because he's saying, you rescued me from death. It looks like the past. You, you kept me alive. But this is a forward looking thing. He says that even my feet from stumbling so that I can walk before God in the light of life. And in this, we look to Jesus and we see what it is that He accomplished. And we see Jesus looking at us through the pages of Scripture by what He said but we don't take them just as a ink on a page. We take them and we hear the voice of Jesus as He's on the cross saying, it's paid in full. And it's as if He's looking you in the eye this morning and saying, regardless of the past, and what led you to the point where you're at right now, If by faith you're trusting Me, it's paid for. It's finished. It's made right. All the wrongs of our past are set right in Christ. He atones for all of it. He doesn't atone for 99% of it and we're supposed to hump over the last little bit. He does everything to restore us and make us where we are. This is why we as a Christian can say, When I'm afraid, when I look in the mirror and the person looking back at me is not enough, when I'm afraid, I don't trust in that person. I trust in You, Lord. And I believe Your Word to me that You have said, this is My child, redeemed and bought by my sacrifice. It's in God I trust and I, I will not be afraid. So how's hindsight for you? As you look to the past and you remember the circumstances that brought you to this more moment, it tempts you to make a judgment to the future that may not be true. True. The future might not be better. The circumstances might not clear up. Your decisions in those circumstances might not be the best. But if you rely upon looking to the past and your circumstances and your decisions, your faith is not where it needs to be. We look to God's faithfulness bringing us through to this moment. And we trust in His provision to take us to the end. None of us get in to the kingdom of heaven under our own merit. Or as I like to say, none of us shows up with our own ticket. We all get in on the ticket of somebody else. Jesus Christ gave His life not because we earned it, or deserved it. But because we prayed the prayer of David, be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. And as God is gracious to us, I pray that it also causes us as we look to a world that is warring against us to be gracious to others as well. People that may be trying to trample us. People that Are twisting our words all day long, whose thoughts are against me, are evil all the time, that are stirring up strife, lurking, watching my steps, waiting to take our life. Because we know the answer to this question will they escape in spite of such sin? And the answer is no. And that's a terrifying prospect. Because were it not for the graciousness of God to us, we would not have escaped because of our sin. And so we pray for them as we pray for ourselves. God, be gracious to them. Give me opportunity to give them this hope of Jesus. The truth of His goodness, His faithfulness. His loving kindness for us when I am in the midst of brokenness, when He sees my wanderings, when He sees my tossings, when He sees my grief, when He sees the tears, and He knows every single one of them, and He has the incident of it written in His book. That's true of every person that I've ever met. So, Jesus, be gracious to them that it may be true of them that You rescued them from death even their feet from stumbling so that they could walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that Your Word is not just ink on the pages. It's You speaking the reality of this to us today. That it's not just something that we ought to know that You say that You love us. But even as we read it today, we hear Your voice saying, I love You. So be gracious to us today, O oh God, for we certainly do not deserve it. And help us to live in such a way that we can love our neighbor, our coworker, our family members graciously with your loving kindness. We love you and we are so thankful for Jesus. We pray all this in the sweet and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.